Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the word of your power and the power of your word. We open our hearts right now, Lord, to revelation knowledge. Thank you for what you're about to impart to us. Come and have your way and do what only you can do. We pray this in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Praise God. In the book of Hosea, chapter 4, verse 6. Hosea, chapter 4, verse 6. The Bible tells us that my people are destroyed from a lack of knowledge. My wife and I really like this scripture. My people are destroyed for a lack of, of knowledge. It doesn't say my people are destroyed because they don't know anything at all. It says my people are destroyed because of a lack of knowledge. So we are destroyed because we don't know enough. And I find it interesting because it doesn't just say, oh, it's the world that's destroyed because of their ignorance, but it says my people. So you can be a Christian, you can have fire insurance. In other words, you know you're not going to hell, you're going to heaven. But still, with the things to do with the world and living here on earth, you're perishing. Amen? There are a lot of Christians that are not living in the reality of the fullness of their salvation. We're celebrating today that Jesus died for us and he rose again. But how many of you know that you can be a Bible-believing Christian, but because you haven't fully embraced knowledge, you don't fully embrace the fullness of this salvation life. And it says, my people are destroyed from a lack of knowledge. Then it goes on to say, because you have rejected knowledge, I also reject you as my priests. How many of you know that you can be a Christian but reject knowledge? And there are different ways in which we reject knowledge. You can reject knowledge by being lazy and not reading the word. You can reject knowledge by not listening and paying attention when a pastor is preaching in church on Resurrection Sunday morning. Amen? <laughs> there are ways in which we reject knowledge, but there's a consequence to it. Because the Bible here says, he says, I also reject you as my priests because you have ignored the law of your God. I will ignore your children. In other words, my ignorance will impact my offspring. Amen. My ignorance of the word will impact my offspring. People pass on things to their children. One of the most precious things you can pass on to your children is knowledge. Amen. Revelation knowledge. He says, yeah, I also reject you as my priests because you've rejected knowledge. Now in the Old Testament, we had priests. In the new covenant, we're a priesthood of believers. What does a priest do? One of the things a priest does is a priest stands in the gap and represents man before God. Amen. So that ministry of intercession, your intercessory ministry becomes less powerful because of your ignorance. That's what the scripture is saying. Look at this. I also reject you as my priests. In your divine call to stand in the gap and represent man before God, I reject you because you have ignored knowledge. Are you with me this morning? The fact that it says that my people perish for a lack of knowledge, you know what it also shows me? There's a degree of the life of God we experience because of revelation. If we perish because of lack of it, then there's a degree of life that we walk in because we have revelation. And I want to share with you this morning a dimension of revelation that isn't taught that much anymore in the body of Christ. 
I want to share with you this morning a dimension of revelation that is the key to your progress in life. But it's counterintuitive. It's not what the world teaches. It's not what motivational speakers teach. But it's what the word speaks. Are you ready? Say to the person next to you, this is not information, this is revelation. I've not come this morning to give you information. I've come and by the Holy Spirit, who we're singing about just now, revelation is going to be imparted. And I want to encourage you, listen very carefully, because God wants to do something that would catapult, will catapult you to your next level and your next dimension. But it's counterintuitive. It's not what the world teaches. The title of my message this morning is The Mindset of Christ. The Mindset of Christ. We're living in a time where many people want to walk in the authority of Christ, but few people want to embrace the character of Christ. We live in a time where many people want to walk in the power of God, but few people want to embrace the mindset of God. Philippians chapter 2, verse 5 to 11. This is our foundation scripture. Philippians chapter 2, verse 5 through to 11. Are you ready? In verse 5, it says, In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. We've been talking about going to higher dimensions in our relationships. And the Bible here says, in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. This is one of the most powerful scriptures in the Bible. Please, it's not talking primarily about your relationship with God. It's talking about in our relationships with each other, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. What does that word mindset mean? If you look in the original language, it's the word in the Greek, phroneo. Say to the person next to you, phroneo. Say to someone else, phroneo. Sounds cool, doesn't it? Sounds like what? Sounds like a hairstyle or something. Can I give you a phroneo? <laughs> right? Have the same phroneo as Christ Jesus. What is that word, phroneo? It's the word mindset. It's the word attitude. It's a very difficult word to translate into the English because it combines both the visceral and the intellectual aspects of the inner person. By visceral, I'm talking about your deep feelings and emotions. So it's saying have the same deep feelings and emotions about things as Jesus did. At the same time, it's also saying, have the same opinion and perspective about things as Jesus did. And then it combines the two. Isn't that a powerful word? Have the same phroneo, the way Jesus would respond to things, respond in the same way. The way Jesus would be troubled by certain things, be troubled in the same way. The way Jesus would hate certain things, hate the same things. Have the same mindset as Jesus as you relate to one another. Isn't that powerful? I think it is. You see, phroneo essentially equates to personal opinion that fleshes itself out in action. It's to do with an opinion or a perspective about something, but it is outworked in action. You see, many of us have studied the acts of Jesus 
Few of us have studied the phroneo of Jesus. Many of us have studied what Jesus did. Few of us have studied the mindset of Christ. And here in scripture, it says, in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. Philippians was one of the prison epistles. It was one of the epistles that Paul wrote while he was in jail. And he is encouraging the believer saying, have the same mindset as Jesus. Can we go a little bit deeper into this? Okay. We need to study Jesus from this aspect. I want to know what was this mindset? What is this mindset that Jesus had? It says in verse 6, who being in the very nature God. Okay, that's important in terms of our biblical foundations right? He was God. Being in the very nature of God, he is God. Did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Some translations say Jesus did not consider equality with God as something to be grasped. Have the same phroneo, have the same mindset as Jesus as you relate to one another. In other words, don't use your authority to your own advantage. Are you seeing this? Jesus is equal to God, but he didn't use that to his own advantage. Are you hearing me this morning? I don't know what your accolades are. I don't know what your title at work is, but the Bible says as we relate to one another, we must have the same phroneo as Jesus. We must have the same mindset as Jesus. And you know what I find amazing is Paul the apostle practiced this, didn't he? He would say, you know what, guys, even though I could use my apostolic authority to say to you guys, give me this money, do this and do that for me, I choose not to. How many of you know that in life there are certain things we could demand, but we choose not to? Amen? Talking about finances in this ministry, we've chosen not to. We don't draw an income from here. We should be. We could be. It's a good thing for pastors to do so. But in this season of the life of the church, we've said, you know what? We're going to sow our time and we're going to pour into what we are doing for the glory of God. That God will bless us in other ways. Amen. Amen. He did not use his equality with God as something to be grasped. Jesus says to us in scripture, you know what, guys, as he goes towards Gethsemane, as he gets arrested, he says, you know what? Do you guys realize that if I wanted to, I could call on my father to call down legions of angels to, to wipe you guys out? I could, but I choose not to. Amen? Some of you in this room, you are very powerful people and you could destroy certain people, but you choose not to. Have the same phroneo as Christ. And that's what meekness is, isn't it? Meekness is strength under control. It's where you're a gentle giant. Have the same mindset. He does not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. I find it amazing how Jesus speaks to his disciples and challenges them on a few things. In Matthew chapter 20, you don't have to turn there. The mother of James and John, the sons of Zebedee, comes to Jesus and says, please, when you're in glory, can one of my sons sit on your right hand, the other on your left hand? Do you remember that conversation? 
And what did Jesus say? He says to them, you guys don't know what you're asking for. Do you know? Can you drink of this cup? I find it interesting that he doesn't shout at them. He doesn't say greatness is not your portion. He basically shares with them the key to greatness. And it's the same mindset that he had. He basically says to them, you know what, guys? Whoever wants to be first must be last. Whoever wants to be the leader must be the servant. That's the key to greatness. And Jesus then gives himself as an example of this. And he says, look at me. I'm your Lord, aren't I? I'm your Lord. And he could have made a list of a whole lot of other things that he was. I'm your creator. I'm your healer. I'm all these wonderful things. But I come to you as a servant. Now the Bible tells us, have the same phroneo, have the same mindset, have the same attitude as Jesus had, who did not consider equality with God as something to be grasped. Jesus was sharing the key to greatness. And he says to them, if you want to be first, be last. I want to ask you a question. When you're dreaming about your success in life, when you're thinking about your destiny and all the things that you want to accomplish, are you saying, I'm going to go to the word of God and I'm going to take this key to greatness that Jesus is giving me? Or are you doing it the world's way? You see, promotion comes from above. The Bible says that I am the Lord who raises up one and puts down another. How many of you know that God also demotes? No, we like to, as charismaniacs, we like to just talk about the promotion bit. How many of you know that right now there are a lot of people who've been demoted in the spirit? And you know what's sad? What's sad is when you're not aware of it. In the Bible, the, the word that is used in the Hebrew is ikabud. The glory has departed. Right? Glory is kabod, the glory. Right? The weight. Ikabud is the glory has lifted. There are many Christians today where the glory has lifted, but they're not aware of it. They've experienced a spiritual demotion, but they still look nice on the outside. Amen? I don't know about you, but I want to be honored by God more than I want to be honored by man. But many people are grasping and just clutching, wanting to be honored by man. How many of you that you can be honored by man in the natural, but dishonored in the realm of the spirit? Are you hearing me? You can be honored by man in the natural, but unrecognized in the spirit realm. How many of you remember the sons of Sceva? They were trying to cast out a, a demon in a demonized man. And what did this guy do? He beats them up and he says, Paul I know, Jesus I know, but you, who are you? And I've taught on this before. And you remember, it's different words that are being used there. He basically says, Jesus I know, experiential knowing, right? I know Jesus experientially. I believe it was probably a demon that Jesus had cast out. I've, I've, I've been a recipient of Jesus rebuking me. I know experientially Jesus. And in the word that is used for Paul is, I recognize Paul. I'm acquainted with Paul. Paul was walking in his authority and he was recognized in the spirit. And he says, but you, who are you? How many of you know that it is possible to be honored by men in this world, but dishonored in the realm of the spirit? How many of you know that the breakthroughs we have in this life, they begin in the realm of the spirit? So the people who have revelation, the people who are not perishing because of a lack of knowledge, are people who understand that, that I'd rather be a servant and serve. I'd rather be the least before man, but honored in heaven. Can I hear an amen? 
Now we go a bit deeper into this and we see something interesting. It says, in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. Verse 6, who, being in the very nature of God, did not, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. And I said to you, that word speaks of grasping. He didn't try and seize it by force. Verse 7, rather he made himself nothing. Remember, we're being told, have the same mindset, have the same phroneo as Jesus, the Jesus who made himself nothing. That word comes from an interesting word in the Greek, kenos. Right? Some people call it the kenosis of Christ. And the kenosis of Christ is basically, I like this definition of it, it's the divine self-emptying of the Son of God. Isn't that beautiful? The divine self-emptying of the Son of God. It's a word that, is, that speaks of making yourself void, null and void. All those things, all those accolades, all those titles you have, all those qualifications, you, you, you act as if you don't have any of those. You empty yourself. When was the last time you had a motivational speaker say to you, are you willing to empty yourself? Are you willing to make yourself nothing so that God raises you up? You see, the humanists who focus on man worship, their mindset is you've got to do your thing to get to the top. But the biblical Christian has a different phroneo, has a different mindset, has a mindset that basically says, in order to get up, I have to get down. Are you hearing me this morning? You see, we can teach you everything about promotion and sales and all sorts of tactics and techniques. And we do that in the corporate world. But the key to your promotion is seeing God as your source of promotion who raises up one and puts down another and saying, God, I'm going to do it your way, not my way. And what is his way? Lord, I'm choosing to empty myself. It says that Jesus made himself nothing. My question to you this morning is how low are you willing to go? It even rhymes. It could be a rap. How low are you willing to go? Remember back in the 90s, base, how low can you go? How low can you go? You know what I find so interesting? Do you know why people get offended in church? You know why people get offended in church? They're not yet dead. Because if there's a dead corpse here, you can kick it. It's not going to jump up and react. Amen. I still remember in the 90s, I was in a situation, late 90s, and I was lecturing a first-year class, I think it was first-year psychology, and I remember being in a situation where we left the class, it was a massive class, and we were walking, we left the classroom and we were walking, and I tripped, and I was about to stumble and fall, but I managed to sort of get up again, and I continued in my stance. And what was interesting for me was that I felt a sense of embarrassment when I was about to trip over in front of the class. And the Holy Spirit convicted me at that point and he said, Paul, there's no shame in falling. And then he started to show me something interesting. He said, Paul, if you're already low and you had already emptied yourself, falling would not be making a difference because you don't view yourself more highly than you ought. Are you hearing me? When you empty yourself and you make yourself nothing, you're not easily embarrassed. 
If you make a mistake in front of people, there's no shame in that because you already had made yourself low. Are you hearing me? You see, when you make yourself low, you can learn from anyone. The Lord convicted me. Again, he has a habit of doing this, the Holy Spirit. A couple of days ago, very recently, I was having a conversation with someone and this person was sharing with me something, a subject that I actually teach on, but I don't think he knew that I teach on this subject. And he was, he, it was new to him. And he was saying, yeah, this is how it works. And I heard this guy talking about it and so on. The Holy Spirit convicted me because there was something in me rising up. And I found myself saying to this individual, yeah, you see, yeah, but when I teach it, because I was trying to hint that I, I'm actually supposed to be an expert on that particular topic. When I actually teach this subject, the way I explain it is and I started doing so and you know what I missed out on what that person could have taught me even though they had just learned about that particular subject because I was estimating myself more highly than I ought that's the word conceit are you hearing me so I don't care who you are don't care what experiences you have are you willing to empty yourself of that Jesus creator of the universe emptied himself of certain things. What are you willing to strip off yourself? Do you know that the priests in the Old Testament, before they went into the holy, holy place, they had to go through a stripping process. How many of you know that when Jesus came to the earth, he went through a stripping process, a voluntary one, where he says, I'm going to function as a man under the anointing. The things that Jesus did he was doing them as a man anointed by God. He wasn't doing them as God. You understand that, right? Otherwise, he couldn't then say, you know what, these things I'm doing, whoever believes in me, you will do these acts and you will do greater. He was doing them as a man under the anointing, as an example for us. He stripped himself of the advantages of the Godhead. Isn't that powerful? My question to you this morning is, what are you willing to strip off yourself? You know what the test is to see whether you actually have stuff still on you, labels still on you? What do you say to people about yourself the moment you meet them? What's the first thing you say? There's some people, the moment they meet you, they reel off their CV. I've done this great thing and I'm recognized in this particular way and I'm so, so amazing. That means you're looking to those things for your identity. Lord challenged me some years ago. Again, it was in the late 90s. I was walking with a friend of mine who was a pastor at the time. And I wasn't yet a pastor officially, right? And I remember the person who was then our pastor at the time saw me with this friend of mine. And I remember feeling good that he was seeing me with this friend of mine. And I thought to myself, yeah, this pastor will also see that I'm also very spiritual. I'm also your pastor type. And I remember the Lord again, as he's in the habit of doing, he convicted me. And he said, Paul, you know what? Why do you want to be associated with other names? When you turned to me and chose to believe in me, you bore my name. Is my name not enough for you? You see, when you become a Christian, you bear his name. You don't have to attach other names to yourself. You don't have to attach labels to yourself. You know those people who like to say, yeah, but you know my uncle is so-and-so. Yeah, you know that guy, yeah, yeah, we were actually best friends at school. Why do you have to attach other names to yourself? Is the name of Jesus not enough? 
I believe God is taking us through a stripping process. And when we have communion a bit later on this morning, as we take communion, as we receive communion, we'll be making a decision that God, I'm stripping myself of other identities and I'm fully embracing Christ. The Bible tells me that when I come to know the Lord Jesus, it says, put on Christ Jesus. How many of you know that you can't be dressed in two outfits at the same time? Ladies, you know all about that. Do you ever have it where you go and you look in your cupboard and you really want to wear this outfit, but you also really want to wear this other one? You can't wear two outfits at the same time. You can't have them on you at the same time. Amen. The Bible says, put on Christ Jesus. Clothe yourself with Christ Jesus. In order for me to clothe myself with Christ Jesus, I have to take off the other stuff. God is taking us through a stripping process. And that's the key to our spiritual promotion. Can I hear an amen? amen? It says, rather he made himself nothing. You know, Paul did this. If you look at Philippians chapter 3, so this is a couple of chapters ahead, a chapter ahead actually, verse 7 to 9. Philippians chapter 3, verse 7 to 9. Paul the apostle said, but whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. But whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What things were gains to you when you were in the world? My question to you is, are those things still a primary part of your identity? Paul the Apostle says, whatever I saw as gain, I now see as loss. He didn't even say, I now see as neutral. You see, many Christians see whatever they saw as gain, it's now neutral. It's just there. But he actively says, I see it as loss. Why? For the sake of Christ. Now watch this very carefully. Verse 8. What is more, I consider everything a loss. Why? Because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ. Knowing Christ, Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. Then it goes a step further. I consider them garbage. All those accolades. I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ and be found in him. That's a very powerful statement. In other words, if I don't consider them garbage, I might not gain Christ. If I'm not stripped of this stuff, I might not gain Christ. You see, many Christians today are walking and living a life where they think they can have both. Where their identity is in this great accomplishment and also, yes, yes, when we're in church settings, Christ. But you will never fully gain Christ. You'll never fully walk in your authority in Christ Jesus and the fullness of your salvation if you don't consider the other stuff as garbage. Now, how do I deal with garbage? How many of you have garbage challenges? I don't know about you, but our bins at home fill up very quickly. How many of you know that there's no shortage of garbage? I don't have bins in my house where I'm like, oh, there's nothing in there. Especially the kitchen one. It fills up very quickly. And there's a certain individual in our household who's always emptying it. Because generally speaking, the people in my household don't like emptying the garbage. You know, <laughs> everyone, you know. But then when garbage is emptied out, I know that one of the things my wife likes to, oh, thanks for emptying out that bin in the kitchen. 
We like it when it's emptied out. But you know what the scary thing is? There's garbage in my life. There's garbage in your life. But it doesn't look like garbage. How many of you are hoarders? How many of you have lots of clutter at home? And you're like, you see it as clutter, but there's someone else who's like, hey, no, 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 let's just keep it just in case. You see the garbage, the spiritual garbage, the things we look at in our lives for our identity and accolade, they look good in other people's eyes. People are like, wow, you were hit, boy. Wow. Oh, you represented the country for this. Wow. But Paul is saying, all those things I consider as garbage so that I may gain Christ. You see, there's certain things that are not sin. They're not sin. But the Bible in the book of Hebrews says, let's get rid of sin and every weight that so easily entangles us. There's some things that are not sin, but they're weights. And if you don't get rid of those weights, guess what happens? You never gain Christ. Are you hearing me this morning, ladies and gentlemen? This Resurrection Sunday. He says, I consider them garbage. Are they garbage? Maybe not. But he said, I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ. What are you going to do in your life? What things do you have to look at and start seeing as garbage so that you may gain Christ? Are you willing to be stripped of these things? Are they still part of your identity? Do you like to talk about these things when you first meet people? I still remember years ago, I was a talk show host for a particular radio show. And I remember I had a friend of mine, and whenever he would introduce me to some of his friends, the first thing he would mention is, oh, this is Paul. Hey, Paul really speaks well. And Paul, you know, he's a talk show host. He's going to, yeah, Paul. And I remember I would think to myself, is Paul alone not enough? Why do you have to add the things I've done when you're introducing me to these people? And I didn't like it. I don't know if you're like me, where you kind of feel like, just, just accept me as I am. We don't have to add all these other things. But what's the sad thing is, many of us do that for ourselves. We don't need someone else to do it. We almost feel like in order to be accepted, I have to have other identities. I have to tell them that I got my degree cum laude, those of you who did. I have to tell them that I've got a PhD, those of you who have. I have to tell them about this title and this accomplishment, those of you who've accomplished those things. I have to tell them that my uncle is so-and-so, those of you who've got an uncle who's so-and-so. Jesus is enough. Please say that to the person next to you. You know what happens in life? If you don't make yourself nothing, you'll be bound by the fear throughout your life that someone is going to make you nothing. If you don't humble yourself, you'll be bound by the fear throughout your life that someone is going to humiliate you. You see, if I come up before you and I show you not just my strengths but also my weaknesses, I no longer have this anxiety that I'm gonna be found out. Ooh, ooh, they're gonna find out. Some of you who've joined our church, some of you have come in brokenness. 
Some of you have come because I was counseling you and in the counseling process where I saw your brokenness, you then joined the church. And so you're very authentic because I knew your weaknesses. Amen. But some of you have come and you project the strength. And you live with this fear that one day the pastor is going to find out and people are going to find out that I'm not all that. Who is the one who's bound? Is the one who's too proud to boast about their weakness. Then we carry on the last part of verse 7 into verse 8 and 9. It says, by taking the very nature of a servant... So he made himself nothing by taking on the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Can you see that there are many levels of Jesus lowering himself? Here is God himself. And then it's like, okay, I'm going to step out of glory and I'm coming in the likeness of a man. But not just any man. He didn't come. Remember his disciples wanted him to come. Yes, you come as a man, God incarnate. But please still be our ruler. Please still conquer the Romans. Because he could have done that. But he comes not just as a man, but as a servant. Not just as a servant, but one who ends up dying on a cross. That's the most cruel death in that time. That's how someone who was a criminal, but not just any criminal, would die. You know what I find amazing about Jesus? He lowered himself, and the way it looks is he made himself vulnerable. Think about the levels of vulnerability. He's there on the cross, and people are mocking him, spitting at him, ridiculing him. He could have sorted them out. In fact, they were saying, hey, you saved others. You did all these amazing things with other people. Why can't you do it to yourself? He could have said, no, guys, I actually can. Watch. He could have, but he didn't. Are you willing for people to see your weakness for a season? Are you willing for people to see you in a vulnerable state for a season? Jesus, at the start of his ministry, he didn't go all out and say to everyone, guys, you know what? I'm actually the son of God. <laughs> In fact, when people saw him doing miracles, he would say, please, don't tell anyone. My time hasn't come yet. Yet most of us, when we do great things, we want the whole world to know. As soon as the great thing has happened, oh, everyone knows. Facebook knows. Twitter knows. Everyone knows about it. But Jesus did these great miracles and he was like, my time has not yet come. Please, guys, don't tell anyone. Have the same fronel, have the same mindset, have the same attitude as Jesus in how you relate to one another. Amen. It says he became obedient to death. How many of you know that obedience requires resilience? He became obedient to death and death on a cross. Now, he took what was supposed to be my cross, what was supposed to be your cross, and it became his cross. Amen? Now we're saying we must have the same mindset as Jesus. So I must also be obedient to my cross. Are you following? My cross is not the same as Jesus' cross 
Because I don't have to die for my own sin. But how many of you know that I have to become obedient even unto death in whatever God has called me to? And it might not be something I feel like doing right now. How many of you know that Jesus didn't feel like dying for us on the cross? You know, the way we've been brought up and the way we've been taught, we like this thing of like, because Jesus was perfect, of course he just, he was just gushing with this thing of, oh, I just feel like dying for you on the cross. No. And we see that in Matthew 26, and I shared this with you the other week. Matthew 26, verse 36 to 45. Then Jesus went to them to a place called Gethsemane. And he said to his disciples, sit here while I go over there and pray. And taking Peter with him, Taking with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, so he didn't go with all of them, he began to be sorrowful and troubled. How did they know that he was sorrowful and troubled? They saw him. They were with him. So he made himself vulnerable in relationship. I've said this to you before. You cannot have emotional intimacy with another human being without some degree of vulnerability. So how did Jesus lower himself? How was Jesus obedient to death? He allowed his vulnerability, his frailty to be seen by other people. He wasn't like, oh, no, I've got this. I'm all sorted. Have the same phroneo as Jesus. Have the same mindset as Jesus. The ladies in this place who are married should all be saying amen. Where you are in touch with your emotions enough, gentlemen, to be able to say, I am sorrowful and troubled. He, Jesus said it. They described it, but then look at verse 38. Then he said to them, my soul is very sorrowful, even to death. You see, we've been raised in a culture that says, no, as a man, you have to show that you are it. How many Zulus here? How many Zulu men here? I'm going to pick on you today. Does our church not attract Zulu men? How many Zulu men here? How many Zulu women here? <laughs> How many Zulus? <laughs> but you know what? With the Zulu man to be considered a man, you know with the Kosa men, they go for initiation. With the Zulu men to be considered a man, you have to have fought someone and defeated someone else. Do you guys know that? You can be walking with a friend of yours or a cousin of yours and an uncle can just say, hey, sort each other out, have a fight. <laughs> and then you go and you fight and then afterwards you're friends again and you carry on. I don't know if you guys knew that, okay? And sometimes when, we, when we've grown up in an environment like that, yes, it makes us a warrior, but sometimes we've got this mindset of cowboys don't cry. But how many of you know John 11, verse 35, shortest verse in the Bible, Jesus wept. Jesus was in touch with his emotions. And here, he basically says, guys, I am deeply sorrowful, even to death. Remain here and watch with me. Part of lowering yourself is making yourself vulnerable. Paul Quello in 11 minutes, he basically said, the strongest love is the love that can demonstrate its fragility. The strongest love is the love that can demonstrate its fragility. Have the same phroneo as Jesus. The same mindset that makes him vulnerable before people. 
I like what Dr. Andra Brosh said about vulnerability. When you make yourself vulnerable, you're able to express your most sacred thoughts and feelings. You can share yourself with others authentically and without apology. Vulnerability is also about exposing your flaws, your secrets, and darker sides without shame. So Jesus humbled himself. What does humility look like? I want to give you a bit of a checklist here of humility. And let's see if you pass the test. When you're truly humbled, when you're truly humble, you're willing to get correction from anyone, even if you see them as less experienced. How low are you willing to go? I've had times where my kids will correct me. And there's that pride as a father thinking, okay, you've been found out. Oh, dad, you weren't consistent here. Dad, how come you saying we must do this, but you don't do it? Dad, do you always do that thing that you're saying we must do? You know what? That's a gift from the Holy Spirit. I would not have seen that weakness if my 12-year-old or my 10-year-old had not highlighted it. Are you hearing me this morning? I'm seeing Jordan. Jordan is hinting at us. Jordan is nudging his parents. <laughs> All right. Number two, you recognize your own frailty before God. If you're truly humble, you recognize your own frailty before God. If you're truly humble, you're not presumptuous. If you're truly humble, you don't have an entitlement mentality that thinks it deserves everything good. When you're truly humble, you're grateful even for the small things in life. When you're truly humble, you honor everyone around you, recognizing that they too have been created in God's image. When you're truly humble, you inquire of the Lord and you don't trust in your own ability and intellect. How many of you know we had planted a number of other churches before this one, but the Holy Spirit spoke to us in about 2010, when this church started, and basically said, you have not walked this road before. This is different. It's a different context. It's a different city. In church planting, you find you can try doing one thing in one context, then you try and do the exact, exact same thing in another context, and it doesn't work. Yet you have many people boasting about their experience. I've been doing this for 30 years. Let me teach you a few things, my son. Sit down over there. That's not humility. Humility recognizes that each year is different. Do you know that today when they hire CEOs, they're recognizing that you can't just hire someone as a CEO based on experience. Because you have someone who's got a perfect CV, but then they don't do a good job. How many of you know that when you hire someone at a senior level, you have to look at things like ability to be agile. Ability to learn very quickly. Ability to innovate. Ability to work with different types of people. Some of the latest leadership research today is showing that the greatest leaders today have mastered the art of leading beyond the old boys club. In other words, leading people who are not like you. Amen? Amen. To be a truly humble person, you know that better men or women than you have fallen. People who read the Bible more than you, people who prayed more than you, they've fallen. So who's to say you can't fall? Some Christians act like, no, I've got the Holy Spirit in me. I can't fall. Ah, that sin, oh, that wickedness. Ah, no, it's beyond me. 
When you're truly humbled, you know that no sin is beyond you. When you're truly humbled, you know that you're not beyond deception. You can also be deceived. Yes, even you. When you're truly humble, you receive those that the Lord sends to you. When you're truly humble, you recognize your ignorance and your limitations. When you're truly humble, you're obedient even if it causes humiliation on your part. How many of you know that some people are too proud to accept certain jobs? If you look at unemployment in this nation right now, it's sitting at 40%, but amongst the youth, it's at 60%. That's concerning. If you compare that with countries like Canada, they are like 1% or 2%. That is concerning. But you know what concerns me even more? If you look at entrepreneurial activity in South Africa, it's 25% of the surrounding countries. If you just go up Africa, the entrepreneurial activity is way more than here in South Africa. Yet we've got one of the strongest economies on the continent. There's a problem there. Do you know what that shows me? It shows me that there's certain jobs that people are too proud to do. And I've seen it. You've seen it. There are certain jobs that people are too proud to do. There are certain people who are good with their hands. They've always been good with their hands. They could be farming right now, but they're too lazy. They could be a diesel Mac right now, but they don't want to look dirty. But they could have a very successful diesel Mac job or business. But they just want to look smart, wear nice suits, and dress up nicely and sit in front of a computer doing nothing. Amen? My question to you this morning is, are certain jobs too menial for you? Have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who was willing to lower himself, who was willing to wash the feet of his disciples. Dirty feet. Remember, they walked around in sandals for miles and miles and miles. Have you ever, have you ever played on the beach? And then you go back to your beach house or wherever you're living, hotel, whatever it is. Ever seen how much sand you accumulate, how much dust you have? And Jesus was willing to wash them. Are there certain jobs that are too menial for you? Have the same fronteo as Christ Jesus. There was nothing that was beneath him. Isn't that wonderful? When you're a humble person, you pray from a place of humility and you allow God to guide you. When you're a humble person, you're full of faith because you take God at his word. I was speaking to Barry. Barry's from the States. I was speaking to him earlier on um, and he was just saying, Paul, I kind of play, I pray differently. Sometimes when I'm believing God for certain things, I just say, well, God, your word says this. And he was almost apologizing to me, saying, I know it sounds all arrogant and so on, but it's not. This is how I pray. Then I said, no, it's actually humility. Because you're not so proud as to say, God, you know what? I know better than your word. Amen? If God's word says it, let's believe it. His ways are much higher than our ways. When you are a humble person, you can boast of your weaknesses like Paul. In 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 30, Paul says, If I must boast... I will boast of the things that show my weakness. If I must boast, I will boast of the things that show my weakness. Now, most of us, even as Christians, spend our whole lives trying to hide our weakness. And Paul here is saying, if I must boast, 
I will boast of the things that show my weakness. You know what? When we boast of the things that show our weakness, guess who gets the glory? God does. If I reeled off and said to you, you know what? I've done this, I've done this, I've done this, I've done this. When I get my breakthrough, you'll be just like, oh, it's because Paul has done this. It's because Paul is a clever guy. But if I can say to you, you know what? I went to the word of God and I prayed for this breakthrough. And I said, God, may you come through. And God showed me this key to the, to the breakthrough. You can say, well, if God can do it in Paul's life, he can do it in mine too. Amen? And God gets the glory. And then it goes on to say, therefore God, therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name. What does that word therefore mean? Because of all these things, because Jesus lowered himself, he had to lower himself in order to be raised up. It didn't just happen because he was God. It says, therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name. And it is interesting because that word gave, it's an interesting word. It's the word charizomai. It basically means to give freely and to grant favor. And when you look at that, you think to yourself, but, but aren't those works that Jesus was doing, isn't this a works thing? It's not a works thing. It's the key to his greatness. Are you following? It's the key to his greatness. The Bible says he was given freely this name that is the name above every name. He was given it freely. But the key to getting that name was he lowered himself. You see, some of you want your name to be known all over the world. Some of you want to be recognized in the nations. My question to you is, how low are you willing to go? Have the same attitude as Jesus. It says that he was exalted. His name was exalted beyond measure. Exalted beyond measure. Above every name, that word above, it's the word upa in the Greek, and it literally means beyond, it means over, but it also means for the sake of. His name was given for the sake of all the other names, for the benefit of everyone else. Isn't that powerful? You know what this shows me? You can be honored by men, but dishonored and insignificant in the spirit realm. You can be honored by people, and everyone wants to carry your Bible around. Oh, praise you, pastor, praise you. Oh, you're my source. They can worship you on earth, but you're still dishonored in heaven. And yet we see in the life of Jesus that although he had just been spat upon, although he had just been mocked by people, ridiculed, died a death on the cross, in the spirit realm, he, had, he was given the name that is above every other name. They might mock you, they might ridicule you, they might treat you badly, they might bypass you for that promotion. But as you do it with a faithful heart, a humble heart, you're building treasures up in heaven. As you do it with a faithful and humble heart, you're gaining spiritual authority in the spirit realm. And one day the world will see. Amen? One day the world will see. If I look at my life right now, some of you are recipients of this, so I'm going to speak to you openly and freely. But I remember there'll be days where I, would, I was literally working in the evening. I would have spent a whole day training people in the corporate world. And I'd come here and I'll be counseling couples. 
from 5 p.m. through to 10 p.m., sometimes five couples back to back. Not easy. It was fulfilling for me because I saw life change in people's lives. A few years ago, my book then came out on marriage. And people would say, oh, this is so powerful. Oh, we haven't heard it explained this way before. But what does I believe in God for? I was saying, Lord, even though I'm doing this behind the scenes right now, I'm lowering myself. As an executive coach, I, I charge a lot for coaching people individually, one-on-ones. So professionally, I could have demanded that of the people who I was counseling, but I didn't. Many of you know that. But I knew that something else was building up behind the scenes. And a few weeks ago, because I was saying, God, where's the breakthrough going to come? Where's the breakthrough going to come? A few weeks ago, I was approached by SABC, SABC3. They said, we're going to do a show that's starting up this year. And we would like you to come on board to be prime time. And it's a marriage show where we are rescuing people in terms of their marriages. It'll be a reality show. And we want you to be the marriage coach. We want you to be the marriage coach. Coaching couples. I said, okay, well, that's great. That's wonderful and so on. I won't go into more details because I'm, I've signed a non-disclosure thing where I can't say too many things. But I wanted to give you that as an example of what? An example of how you can do things behind the scenes. What is success? What is success? Success is when opportunity meets preparation. Some of you have opportunities floating around you. But are you preparing for it? And you know where the preparation happens? In the dark room. When no one is watching you. In the place of obscurity. And when God wants to handpick someone to do the particular thing, guess what he's going to do? He'll pick you because you are faithfully doing it even when no one was noticing. If I do things differently, if I'm speaking to a thousand people or when I'm speaking to one person, it means I'm not really doing it for God. When we suddenly put in a lot of effort because we're speaking in front of 2,000 people, but we don't put the same effort in when we're speaking in front of just one person, then who are we doing it for? Are you hearing me this morning? Amen. The way up is down. The way up is, are you willing to be stripped off your former identity? That's the way up. Now watch what happens. It says in verse 10, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow. In scripture, whenever it talks about bowing, it's talking about respect, reverence, worship. Every knee should bow in heaven, and on earth and under earth, under the earth. This is not just talking about at the end of the ages. When it says Jesus has been exalted, it's past tense, it's happened. It means that when I walk in the name of Jesus and I carry his name and I put on Christ, there's an authority I have in the realm of the spirit as I use that name. There's an authority I have on the earth where I can shape things, I can make decrees and declarations and they have to bow to that name. Amen? It means that in the underworld, they have to bow to that particular name of Jesus. And then it goes on to say in verse 11, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. I'm going to ask the band to come up and we're going to just seal this by having communion. Amen. When I ask the ushers if you can maybe start dishing out 
the elements, please. We're just going to capture the instruction and then the video will go off. Just in this attitude of worship. I want to encourage you this morning as we receive the bread which speaks of the body of Christ and the juice that speaks of the blood of Jesus. What we're going to do is we're making this decision that Lord my identity is in you. That Lord Jesus you are enough. Maybe you're not yet saved. Maybe you haven't yet given your heart to the Lord Jesus. You have an opportunity to do so right now. In this act of communion you might be saying I'm giving you my life. I'm putting on Christ. Make a declaration to the Lord right now where you are. That you know what? Lord, I'm willing to go through the stripping process. Lord, I'm willing to be obedient even unto death and embrace that cross in my life. Lord, I'm willing to have the same phroneo as you, the same mindset, the same attitude. I'm willing to empty myself. My identity is in Christ alone. Lord, I'm basically saying to you, I want to walk in your authority, but in order to walk in your authority, I'm embracing your person, your mindset, and your character.